श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए नाम संकीर्तन की जाए सो रेफ्टिनेम सो द वर्ड इज एस्पिल स्पीक अबाउट प्रशारम एंड मेट्रोसेन प्रभु टोल मी दैट दीज आर द टू मेन थिंग्स कीर्तन एंड प्रशारम ऑफ आवर मेथड आई गेस um and i guess philosophy because we have to talk about them too explain them so uh we we spoke a little bit about kirtan this morning and history of uh namsan kirtan um and the unique quality of chaitanya mahaprabhu's prem san kirtan the nature of the names in particular that he uh invoked and and so with regard to prashad this is also as with as with nam sankirtan or the idea which i presented it as being rather universal religiously speaking the idea that the name of god is sacred we find in different traditions and so forth and they respond to that address that in different ways um similarly the the idea of uh, prashad which means grace is something that's um hardly sectarian i suppose you could say it's it's universal uh, as well um amongst that is those who have some sense of divinity and a sense of uh, our dependence upon uh, nature and um powers beyond our control uh, and and the idea of course prashad means grace so in a very simple sense uh, the act of honoring prashad is is very similar to the very idea of what they say in in the christian world uh and even beyond that as i say uh saying grace if you will before the meal hmm uh my brother i visited some time back and he had a book of all different uh traditions religious spiritual and secular as well that uh uh with expressions from those different uh traditions of it constitute an, an honoring of the the meal if you will the food we take so forth so as i say from that this is an example uh someone took the time to demonstrate in a book that this is a fairly widespread if not universal concept of some that in a very crude sense constitutes a kind of a gratitude for for living and eating is very close to to living um without eating we don't live of course we sh- we uh we eat uh to live this is a about as basic as it gets um the nature of our existence materially speaking we are dependent upon on food hmm. uh, so chaitanya mahaprabhu has uh, in the gaudiya tradition has t- 
connected this very primal necessity. You can't get more primal than that. Food's kind of the bottom line. As they say, you have to eat to live. That with another idea that is very relative to human society as um, and distinguishes it, I think, from the less complex forms of life. While every form of life has to eat in order to survive, um, the human form of life shares that necessity but carries with it another necessity. And that necessity is unique um, in relation to other species of life. And that is the need to love. So in human society, the need to love arises. And from the point of view of Vedanta, the reason for that is that the self, that unit of consciousness, that subjective uh, side of the objective-subjective combination that makes up the world, the world of experienced and experience, that which is experienced, that which is which experiences, we are constituted of the latter. And that, as I've said before, is is certainly the most profound experience that we have, that we experience. We're different hmm? than things that exist, but without experience of the fact. Hmm? We experience them. Hmm? We're very, very different. This is, a, this is the main experience of human life if we pay attention we should take note of. And the implications of that are, are uh, quite uh, far, far-reaching. Mm-hmm. So that comes to light in human life. It's not that in less complex forms of life there's no experience. Obviously animals experience pain and, and pleasure and, and so far on down the chain as well. But with human life comes another experience, and that is the experience that we experience, that self-consciousness is prominent, I should say, in human life, uh, to the point where we start to wonder why we exist. This is not a question amongst the ants and the animals and the plants. Why do we exist? It's such a troubling question that some people think we would be better off being animals or plants hmm? and uh, having our needs met by nature, as nature does do for less complex forms of life. All the other forms of life, nature supplies the answers to the question of how that, that is prominent um, in those species, how to eat, uh, how to sleep, how to mate, how to protect yourself. These are basic uh, questions that the our present uh, sense of being, identified as we are with this body, these are questions that arise. Hmm? And as I say, nature answers them for all the species of life. We, we find that they know what to eat. There's, there's not a big council how to mate. Um, <laughs> 
or uh, every species has some system built in um, by nature to protect themselves relatively so because hmm? um, we all have to pass through these different species and so forth so these are the how questions and nature answers them but the why question why am I why what is the meaning of life it's a kind of qualitative question this is not a question that nature can answer because nature is not asking that question in the less complex forms of life and in our lives also we are constituted of consciousness and we're identified with matter we're the experiencer and we're identifying with that which is experienced and it kind of takes on a life in relation to us and its movement its motion uh, can be uh, enamoring hmm? unfortunately to the point that we become caught up in that which we're moving at the cost of knowing that we're the mover hmm? and could move in a different direction rather than under the dictates of the mind and the senses hmm? at the loss of our uh, sense of self and, and the very astounding idea and experience that we're an experiencer we're different from matter you start to run with matter as if we are matter and its changes and its transformations which are a result of of our touch consciousness is touching matter we've identified with the transformations and it's disconcerting because you want to be not always on the move so to speak uh, you want to know what's ahead uh, is there a turn in the road or you, you want to have your feet on the ground so to speak but it's constantly being pulled from under our, uh, uh, our feet because matter is animated by consciousness the experienced is animated by the experiencer hmm? and so um, in, in human life the, the, these things can be considered they should be considered hmm? uh, that the, the, the questions don't arise in less complex forms of life and they are questions that nature is not asking in other words how we have a question how do I eat how should I sleep how should I mate how should I go about these things these are things that that nature answers for us like it does for other forms of life but when we neglect the other question that's relative only to human society why am I hmm? then um, we have difficulty even solving the how problems hmm? because our what I mean to say is our form of life is constituted in such a way human life that the prominent question of why am I which is a question that consciousness is asking hmm? Consciousness, the Atma is asking this. this. Nature's not asking why I exist. The soul of nature asks that question. Hmm? In other words, a question of meaning, of value, of quality. Hmm? It's all subjective. Hmm? So it's relative to, it, it pertains to the realm, to the subjective realm, to consciousness. So consciousness itself is asking a question. It's risen above matter 
and the objective world and identification with it to the extent that it can feel itself a little bit and its possibilities, which are unlimited in a sense. In other words, the Atma is different from matter, so separated from it, it's, it's, it, it's the self-consciousness is, in a sense, I want to say it's it's. Um, we talked about this the other day. It's it's um, shaped by matter. It's shaped by matter. In other words, according to the shape of matter that consciousness is identified with, it will express itself accordingly. Just like if you're in the shape of a Volkswagen and I'm in the shape of a um, Cadillac or something, then we're going to be have a different driving experience. Mm-hmm. So the car is going to shape the experience of the driver. Mm-hmm. But the car is, of course, dependent on the driver to have any meaning to begin with. If the driver could become free from the car, mm-hmm, then it could do many more things besides sit behind the wheel and, you know, turn it one way or other, press on a brake, depending on what car you're in. You could turn on an air conditioner or you might not have one in your vehicle. So your ability to express yourself hmm, vehicularly uh, (laughs) depends on the vehicle that you have. hmm? So our ability to express ourselves and experience the fullness of what it means to be an experiencer is somewhat limited by the vehicle that we're in that's shaping our ability to experience that. Less forms of light, less complex forms of life, the shape is not such that that, that consciousness can... Think about itself, that I'm an experiencer, and ponder what that means, hmm? the significance of it. They're struggling just to eat, to live. Hmm? Nature showed them how to, but there's only so much to eat, too. And there's other people that have been shown, other animals have been shown, and so there's a struggle for that existence, hmm? that bodily existence. So we have the same struggle, but there's a greater struggle for human society, and that is to know why. And this is, a, this is again, because... The, the human vehicle, if you will, is a kind of a relaxing of the um, constraints that, that matter places on consciousness. So that consciousness starts to experience itself. That's why we think in human society, I could do anything. And we try to fly high in the sky and we go try, try to... As I said before, go to the bottom of the ocean and so forth. Birds are not trying to go to the bottom of the ocean. And whales or whatever, sharks are not trying to go to the moon. Hmm? Of course, the moon came out of the ocean. That's another story, but we've talked about that before. But um, but we're trying to do all these things. Why are we trying to do all these things? Because... We, we, we're starting to sense ourself. We're, we're different from matter. and We should not be constrained by matter. We should be able to fly in the sky. We should be able to go to the bottom ocean. We, 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 we should be able to exist in any condition because we're different from matter. We are life, and life is not biological. There is a biological life that runs parallel with ourselves, so to speak, that we ignite, hmm? but we're different from that. So biological death will come, biological life will come, 
That's why in the Bhagavad, life begins with it with a metaphor of light, the glance of Vishnu, and he becomes light. And then when you take it one step down in the secondary creation, it becomes a water metaphor, and then in the biological life forms. And Garbhadaksha Vishnu has a stem coming out of his navel, and Brahma's born, and so then there's the parallel biological life. And so anyway, so life is not biological from our point of view. Hmm? Consciousness and matter are, are, are different. Consciousness is life. And consciousness animates matter in such a way, chemically and biologically, that it, uh, it has a, a, a movement and kind of a life of its own. But it's always kind of, you know, it goes for a while and stops, it goes for a while and stops. Hmm? Uh, so, in human life, the machine of the body, the vehicle that we're in, is suited such that the fact that we're different from it starts to rise to the surface. We have a sense about it. Hmm? We have a sense that there's more to life, as I like to say, than what meets the eye and the mind. We're looking for it. So we look for it by doing things that other species do. Well, that's guys flying. I'll try that. Hmm? I'll go to the bottom of the ocean. We'll go here. We'll go, and so forth. But what Vedanta tells us, of course, is that is that the more that we are, we are the more, hmm? and we are more than matter. Matter only matters because you know we've we've mattered about it. We we, we paid attention to it, hmm? and so. We are the more, and we won't find more, the more that we are, in matter. In fact, we lose sight of our, our, our self and our potential, the more we become absorbed in trying to find more in matter. Hmm? There's less only in matter. The more is ourselves. So there's this struggle for existence that we are also participating in, like other forms of life, and we need to eat in order to live biologically, this is very basic. Hmm? But as I say, we have another need, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would say, and that is, we have a need to eat, but we have a need to love also. Hmm? And we should eat to live, and we should live to love. Hmm? And this is what spiritual life is about. The spiritual life starts to happen in human form. Hmm? When we start to Listen to the question that we are. We are a question. Why am I? Hmm? We are, in other words, consciousness is asking a question, and nature has no answer to that. She says, well, if she says anything, just look over there. Talk to him. <laughs> Something like that. She is a Shakti of Bhagwan. So are we. Hmm? Maya Shakti. Jeev Shakti. But there's a difference between us. We're chitkana. Hmm? We're consciousness. We can be we can have self awareness. And human form is the is the is the is the is nature's suit of clothes hmm? to to facilitate this consciousness self, this Atma, coming out and experiencing all that it is. Hmm? And so she says, you, I can't answer that question. I'm silent on that. Why? Hmm? 
Why? Because nature has no meaning without us. You are the meaning. You're asking me the meaning. <laughs> you are the meaning. Can't ask nature why. Hmm? You understand? Nature says, you answer that question. Hmm? You're the why. Why am I? Hmm? So, so, then we have to look to ourselves within. Hmm? Hmm? And if we look carefully, we find, well, we're really different from matter. We make matter, make it, give it meaning. I mean, if there's, if we were to look in the world and ask what most resembles God, we'd have to say ourselves. We're giving meaning to the world. We posit meaning. Hmm? We shape matter in a certain way and say, this is what this is and this is what this is for. Of course, that thinking, we can only take that so far because we can say, we're most like God. We ourselves are God. But then we have to think, but wait a minute, I'm also in a predicament here. So I'm a poor excuse for God at the same time. Because although I give meaning to matter, matter is largely um, defining the limits of my pursuits and, and, and meaning and, and ruling over me, so to speak. I'm, I find myself uh, thinking in a high way, but acting in a low way, more often than not. I can think with my intelligence, that is not a good thing to do. But my mind and senses will force me to do it. Does anyone have any experience of that? So that's a problem. So it's a comp. It's it's a it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm superior to matter, but then again, matter seems to be shaping me and even uh, enslaving me. Uh, and as it shapes me and as it enslaves me, people start to think I must be matter, and so forth. And, and to, but but Vedanta what is is it, it wants to give an answer hmm, from the other side from the consciousness side, not from nature's side, as to why you are. Hmm? And why, in spite of the fact that you're superior to matter, you're enthralled or you're, 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 you're under the influence, you're enslaved under the influence of matter, the dictates of the mind and the senses and so forth. Hmm? So the bigger kind of uh, the, the fire, as I used the metaphor this morning, that we're the spark of, comes into uh, into focus. Hmm? And so, while we need to eat to live, hmm, we should live to love because this self, not being matter, doesn't have the needs that matter seems to have in its you know, biological forms. Hmm? The self doesn't need to eat. Hmm? The Atma doesn't need to eat. Hmm? Um, but biologically, we need to eat. Um, but the Atma needs, needs to love because it's, it's full. It's not empty. Matter is empty. We fill it up and give some meaning to it, shape it and give it some meaning. But the Atma is full. It's a unit. You know, we're trying to. We try to be. 
We try to exist. We struggle to exist. We struggle to know. And we also try to love. But the Vedanta tells us, you, you are a unit of existence, of knowing and loving. Stop trying to be. Stop trying to know. And stop trying to pleasure. Sat, chit, ananda. You are a unit of being, of knowing, and of joy. And when it comes to joy, ananda, the implication is loving. Hmm? You're a unit of being, a unit of knowing, and you have a capacity to love. Hmm? Indeed, you're the, you are in this world the object of love, as an atma, as a self. In other words, as I said the other night, we love things because we're in them only. You love your things because you've identified with them. It's not the thing. It's your, yourself inside of them. It's my car, so it's important to me. Your car is not very important to me unless I think you're mine. Hmm? If you're my daughter and you have trouble in your car, then I, I'm having a problem. Hmm? But if you know people are having trouble with the cars all the time, you just drive by them. Don't even think about it. Why? Because you're not in it. You have not projected yourself into that and found... So the, because you're in it, it has meaning. It has value to you. So you have value, not the things. In this sense, the self is an object of love. Hmm? Uh, but it's only a small particle of love. You can only love yourself so much. So a significant consciousness other is required for loving to reach its full potential. This is the idea of God. Then, hmm? This is the idea of Krishna, Ananda. Hmm? And so, hmm, human life, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, he acknowledged you have to eat to live, but you should live to love. And what distinguishes human life from other species of life is that they have this capacity not only to reason, but to love. And what he meant by, by loving was they could engage in well-reasoned love, hmm? well-reasoned voluntary acts, voluntary acts. In other words, the, the will that the Atma is a unit of has the capacity to express itself, having risen to a certain extent above the dictates of the mind and the senses. Hmm? In human life, we can do something voluntarily, our minds can say, I'd like to have that. Our tongue could say, I want to eat that. Hmm? But we might think, well, that would not look good if I just grabbed the whole thing. There are other people here too, so, you know, go ahead, you know, you first. There's one piece left. Let's look around the table, you know. <laughs> All those hungry, you know. So somebody, oh, no, no, you take it. No, you take it. This is a, this, we can do something voluntarily don't expect your dog you know to to, to do that with another dog so why don't you, you take some you know <laughs> higher up we go maybe in the primates we primates we might find a little bit of this but the human vehicle full opportunity to do things voluntarily that's what love is voluntarily to do things voluntarily hmm? so so if we answer, cater to, or tender to the why question in a way that we could actually get an answer. As I said, nature can't answer the why question. Consciousness has to answer it. We're a unit of consciousness. But we're small, 
enslaved under the influence of matter at the same time we're, we're turning her on. We're like, we turned on the television, but it's taken over our life kind of a thing. We've turned on matter, now it's taken over our life. We can look to ourself, but we're small. We have to look to our source, hmm? this idea of bhakti. And, and so Bhagavatam is like an answer to the question that human life is. The Gita is an answer, Bhagavatam in particular, answer, full answer to the question that human life constitutes. Hmm? And it's telling us, you, you, sh- you should, yes, you need to eat to live. It says, Jivo Jivasya Jivanam. One living being is food for another. Yes, it, it identifies with this primal human necessity that we have in common with other species of life hmm, that has us at odds with one another to one extent. Hmm? One living being, food for another. This is the Darwinian struggle for existence. Hmm? But it doesn't stop there. Hmm? And it says the struggle can end hmm? Hmm? by knowing yourself and its capacity to love. And so, along with kirtan comes this idea of prashadam, wherein the primal biological necessity that we find ourselves identified with can be engaged in in such a way that our capacity as an atma, different from matter, can uh, our potential as an atma can be realized, which is our, our potential to love. Hmm? These are two ends of the spectrum. You follow me? One end, the low end, that every form of life is engaged in, struggle to eat, to live. We have that too, as much as we are identified with matter, with our body. Hmm? But we have another need, the need of the self, and the need of the self is, is, is to give, to, which is what loving is, because it's full. If you're full, what do you do? I'm full here, you take some. Hmm? When you're running on empty, it's another thing. Then you're looking at everybody like one living being, I say, it's food for another. You've got to look over your shoulder all the time. That's how we live in material life. But the self is full. Hmm? It's We're trying to be, we're trying to know, we're trying to love, but you are a unit of being, knowing, and loving. Stop trying. Hmm? And stop trying in relation to matter to find the more that you are. Hmm? This is the basic message of Vedanta, be what you are. Hmm? But Bhakti Vedanta, and Gaudi Vedanta in particular, wants to emphasize, not only do you exist, not only do you have, can be aware of your existence, but the purpose of your existence is to love. And, and the, the full measure of love, there's, a, there's a, a deity that corresponds with that, that's what we mean by Krishna. Hmm? The full measure of love. So to bring yourself in touch with that perfect object of love. This is Bhakti Yoga. Hmm? And it's so nice because this is our higher prospect and necessity, really. It's, it's like why we're in a human dress. To realize the extent to which we exist and stop and end all fear. We have anxiety and fear because we don't know the extent to which we exist. We may know it theoretically, we don't know it practically. And so our knowing is incomplete. Our existence seems tenuous. Our knowing is incomplete. 
and our capacity to love is, is limited thereby as well. Because hmm? if we feel that we have necessities to struggle to exist, to acquire knowledge, then it, as much as we have necessities, how can we love? You understand? If you're needy, then that's not the time to get in a relationship. Write that down. Hmm? So, 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 to, uh, so the implication is that if you're full, then you have nothing to do but to give. Hmm? And so, Godivedanta wants to tell us that you have a capacity if by connecting yourself with your source to be a giver in the full sense of the term. God is depicted as a lover. Hmm? In the whole range of love, with every nuance of emotional content that, 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 that love um, we experience in love, it's all embodied in Krishna. This is what, mean, what, what Rasaraj means, this name for Rasaraj. Every nuance of love. So, uh, to, to, so these two things, we're bringing these two things together, a primal biological necessity and a spiritual necessity and and, and, and it, which is, as I say, uh, to, to experience the fullness of love, to be the giver that you, 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 you could be. Hmm? Krishna is, of course, the center. We give the love to Krishna, but because he's the center, he gives it back in a way that no other part could. Like the stomach gives back all the food to every other part of the body that assisted in growing it, planting it, uh, watering it, picking it, preparing it, hmm? lifting it, tasting it, swallowing it, hmm? all that work of every other part of the body, just to feed one thing, the stomach? Yes. And it just sits there. It doesn't do any of the work. Hmm? But it magically digests the food. Hmm? And this is a good analogy because... And it distributes it mystically to every other part of the body. It's a good analogy because Krishna says in the Gita, that fire of digestion, that I am. I am the fire of digestion. So it's a good, it's, it's good analogy. You see, the, by giving to Krishna, the whole body, the whole of existence is nourished. So within the bhakti school, this idea of connecting this primal necessity to eat with the necessity to love, this is very interesting, this is the very idea of grace, but you see it's a developed idea, saying grace. Thank you, God, for uh, this food, and uh, let's eat. You know, it gets that bad sometimes. Or, you, you know, you're thanking for the bounty, God provided these things, for this food for us, and so we can go on with our existence, and he's very fatherly in that way, and, uh, and he's a little distant, but he's providing, we respect him, uh, and so forth. Well, this idea is very much developed. Not that we thank God for in, in Gaudiya Vedanta for the food that God gives, hmm? but we we think, well, what would God like to eat? And then you think, well, does God need to eat? You already said that the Atma doesn't need to eat. What well, to speak of God? So why are we involved in this exercise, this ritual of offering food and so on and so forth? Hmm? Well, of course, the idea is no that God, God, God doesn't need to eat in a biological sense, hmm? but on, in the world of consciousness, hmm, then uh, there, there is, there is, 
just like where there is loving, hmm? because it's full, hmm? so it's a world of giving hmm? only, uh, there are... Uh, there's a giving and a, and a, and there's a um well there's a there's a kind of a need I want to say in love that's different there's a need that comes out of fullness the need to celebrate i'm full and, and, and this is what leela is like it's movement out of on fullness rather than movement running on empty hmm? and so there's the sharing and exchange that goes on and so forth that love constitutes hmm? so if i offer you t- food to you this is a Act of love. Hmm? So, uh, you know, w- w- when that happens, let's say you're hungry and I find you and I offer you food. Hmm? What did you really get out of that hmm? that causes you, you know, to remember me forever? Hmm? You don't remember, well, it, you might even forget what it was I fed you. Hmm? It was good, it nourished me, but, he, you know, he helped me, he did that. There was it was the offering itself that that we take take note of that's why we you know well in a classic sense we love our mother you know she's providing she's providing the food but but it's not the food that stands out in our minds i remember it was this you gave me this on this day and that and the details of it was the act of the offering that was nourishing in another way, in a non-biological way, we could say it was in an emotional way and biologically, materially speaking, and so forth. But the more we move away from the gross necessity of bodily needs towards the mental, the emotional, we're going on a up on a hierarchy of material reality. We're getting closer to the self, which is, of course, categorically different, but mind. <laughs> Intellect, more similar kind of like to the self than, than just uh, gross matter. Hmm? So even in ordinary life, somebody does, somebody offers us food, and you know it, it depends how they offer in the circumstances. So what the point I'm making is, it's the offering. Hmm? There's more to it. Somebody gave, hmm? and and when they gave, they felt. More, hmm? they felt they got more, hmm? and then 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 we see that, and what we learn is, we want to be a giver because our mother was very nice and nourished us. That's why we call him Sri Chaitanya Dev Sachinandan. Hmm? Sachinandan is a name in reference to his mother, the joy of his mother. The idea is that his mother was so um, caring for him, loving for him. That he, he, he naturally he became caring and loving for others. Hmm. Uh, so, so even materially speaking, there's something more than the food that's offered. So we offer the food, the biological necessity we have. This is the idea in Gaudiya Vedanta to Bhagawan to Krishna, uh, but it's the spirit of the offering, of course, that's accepted. And, and and that nourishes Bhagwan, so he needs love. Hmm? That's a no need need, so to speak. Love is full, but it 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 needs to share itself, and in sharing itself, that it means reciprocal dealing. So there's necessity in love. That's wonderful. 
Hmm? It's not a burden. Hmm? Um, the joy of love and the movement that it causes. Like I've said before, we, we can't stop until we find love. And when we find love, we find it has an orbit of its own, too. It's not just stop. I found love. Huh. Okay, no. And it starts moving me around and uh, in its own orbit and so forth. Hmm? So, so, uh, so God eats the offering. Hmm? Of course, then the offering has to be a loving offering. And so if it's a loving offering, then it's going to be offering from the possibilities of what constitutes food in our material estimation that involves the least taking. Hmm? In other words, we have to take in order to live, right? We have to pluck the carrots or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but we want to do it in a way that's at least exploitive, that's most kind. If you can cause less harm by meeting your need to eat and thereby live, then you live a more loving life. So the more you consider that what I eat, um, uh, how I will cause less harm, you're starting to not only eat to live, but living to love in the context of eating. Hmm? And so when we offer to Krishna, for example, we can't just offer anything. Hmm? We have to take in such a way that's less, least exploitative, hmm? that causes the least harm, that causes the least experience of pain. For example, very simple about it, uh, the animal experiences more pain. You know, if you if you, you know, poke an animal or something and you, and you pluck an apple from a tree, they're going to get two different responses. The tree just going to sit there. You know, it, it's okay, take it. I got a lot of fruit, you know, something like that. The, the animal reacted in a different way. So obviously the, 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 the consciousness is more, uh, has a different, is being shaped differently, as I said earlier, in the animal's body and it's more sensitive to pain and pleasure. So, you want to avoid that. You want to find a least exploitative uh, diet, in a sense. And this way, in the context of eating to live, you're also starting to live to love. So Krishna, you know, makes a certain diet. I'll eat these things. If you study that diet, you know, basic vegetarian diet, you see, oh, it's a, it, it's the idea behind that is it's less exploitative. So we see that God is not living on exploitation like we are here. Hmm? When I say don't exploit, I mean don't take. Not taking is part of loving. Love has a positive context uh, connotation of giving, but not taking is included in that. Hmm? So as we stop being takers, we can start that much more to be givers. So we... In the bhakti tradition, we take food from the world in the least exploitative way. Hmm? Even the ideas given in the Gita, patram, pushpam, palam, toya, yome, bhakta, prayachati. The idea behind this verse is that you plant the food, you grow the food, hmm? and and then you prepare the food, and then you offer the food. Hmm? So that there's so much more involved in that than going to the store and buying it and you're more involved, so the capacity to become absorbed 
Hmm? And you're doing this with an idea to, to, to please God, to make an offering of love. Hmm? And he says, patram pushpam palam toyam. Again, the material ingredient is can be insignificant. A flower, water, a fruit. Hmm? But the element of, of bhakti, of giving, of loving, that has to be present in order to be, for it to be eaten. Hmm? You know the famous story of um, Vidura and his wife, and Vidura, Krishna came to Hastinapur, and Duryodhana had arranged a big feast. He was the king at the time, big feast for Krishna. Hmm? <coughs> and there were trumpets blowing, and Krishna's coming. And he came to town, and he just went right to the house of Vidura, who was a sadhu, hmm? and from a low birth. And Krishna was royalty, of course, as a prince of Dwarka at the time. And so he ignored the whole feast arranged by Duryodhana and all the high dining affairs, went to the house of Vidura, who wasn't there, but his wife was there. And his wife said, Krishna, what are you doing here? <laughs> he said, I'm hungry. And, and she said, well, you know, there's a feast over there that's been prepared. I don't eat with those people. They don't like my devotees. He doesn't like, I don't eat there. Hmm? This is love. We think, Krishna, you should be non-sectarian. <laughs> don't, don't be biased. <laughs> I don't go there, he said. Hmm? That's actually non-sectarian. That's, that's the point that has to be brought out. But at any rate, hmm? He's, he, she says, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I haven't prepared anything. I mean, uh, and, and he, said, she, he says, well, that, well, the banana's right there. That, that's not a preparation. You know, they're just like there. You pick them. And so he says, yeah, give me a banana. So she peels the bananas. And in their ecstasy, the Krishna's in my house. He's asking bananas. She peels the bananas and gives him the peel and throws away the banana. <laughs> and so everybody's wondering, Krishna came to town. Where did he go? So the word is, he went to Vidura's house. So Vidura says, he went to my house. He goes there with Narada, and they come in. And, and Narada says, uh, Vidura says, this is amazing that Krishna's come to my house. And, and uh, like this. And, and, and he's taking, accepting an offering of just bananas. And Narada says, that's not amazing. He's eating the peels. <laughs> hmm? he's actually, she's, she's offering the peels in her bewilderment. And he's eating the peels. Hmm? So... Baba Grahi Janardana is the idea. Hmm? With, with the offering with feeling, that will be accepted. What, what will we offer? Another way to think about this, well, whatever you like the most, you think, that's great. Krishna would really like pizza. I know it because it just tastes great. You know, it may not be on his diet, but in another sense, to universalize, if you really think it's good, hmm, then you can offer it with like, this is great, with more feeling. Hmm? And he might eat that pizza over somebody else's pakora. It's possible. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so, with feeling, with love, it's offered. Hmm? It's an act of love. Giving food is an act of love. So it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a scientific way within, in the realm of ritual, to do it right, to give to, to God and harmonize, the, the, bring together these two ends of what human life constitutes. A necessity to eat and a necessity to love. Hmm? And to experience the full potential of love, because as we offer that, then, hmm, then we honor that, hmm, hmm. and we live then 
on the remnants, if you will, of Krishna. I cited a verse last night, this came up in a different context, from Bhagavatam of Uddhava, who said, here's how we live our lives, and this is what our renunciation uh, constitutes. We eat the foods that have been royally offered to Krishna after he's finished with them. We decorate ourselves, our body, with oils that have been off, scented oils that have been offered to Krishna. Our clothes are his vestments that have been handed down, hmm? and so forth. And he compared this to the naked sadhus who, Munaya, Vodavasanaha, uh, they dress in air. In other words, they're naked. The naked sages, they're completely renounced. We think, wow, they're really renounced. This is a whole different idea. Here's a guy wearing jewelry and oils and, uh, and fancy garments and eating a fancy diet. He doesn't look spiritual compared to this other guy who's naked, maybe wears ashes, carries a trident, hmm. gets a little angry every now and then, but otherwise, you know, gives a curse, starts a fire, and has all the powers and stuff like that. Hmm. This other guy just going singing about some person he loves and wearing his clothes. Hmm. <laughs> uh, hmm. But this is Uddhava's idea. This is the bhakti idea. The bhakti idea is that that we want to love. Hmm. Love is a real mystery. Hmm. We want to be lovers. That is a real mystery. That and that is full knowing. As I said this morning, loving and loving wisely. It constitutes the, constitutes the full uh, uh, idea of knowing. When you love, you know essentially what to do. It's not just extra information and so forth to get a fat head. Therefore, we should use our head to soften our heart, as I often say. Hmm? So, Uddhava's idea is this. I, my, my idea is I'm a soul. I have... I exist, I, I know that I exist, and I have capacity to love. I have now come in touch with the perfect object of love, Krishna. So I give myself entirely to Krishna. Hmm? And in the context of doing that, which is, which is bhakti, hmm? the opportunity for which has come to me by Krishna's grace, prasad means grace, when I, when I do that, there are certain things that will not please Krishna. So I don't do them. There are other things that will please Krishna. I do those. There are things that are favorable to bhakti. There are things that are unfavorable to bhakti. If they're unfavorable to bhakti, I have nothing to do with them. That is my renunciation. Hmm? If they're favorable to bhakti, I accept them. And there's no exploitation in that hmm? because they are, they are given to Krishna. So these two tracks on which material life runs, tyag and bhog, hmm? renunciation and karma, taking, in terms of karma, acquisition, renunciation, giving it up. These two are harmonized in bhakti. Hmm? There's taking to give to Krishna. Hmm? And there's giving up that which is not favorable to Krishna. So we're not... Buddha was a great renunciate. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? He's a greater renunciate than the naked sages. Hmm? They're just doing renunciation for renunciation's sake. Hmm? What's the value of that? Hmm? Hmm? You don't own anything anyway. And somebody does own everything. In bhakti, we contact the real proprietor. Hmm? We acknowledge his proprietorship. We love him. Hmm? And in the context of that, if some things aren't favorable for loving, I reject them. 
So, for example, if it's favorable for me to get up in the morning early for loving Krishna, I do it. Hmm? If it's favorable to, to, to taste, as we're going to hear shortly, some sumptuous prasadam, I, I enjoy it. Hmm? Hmm? It might not be favorable to my mind and senses to get up in the morning early, but it's good for bhakti, so I do that. Hmm? I renounce the sleep early in the morning. And I enjoy taking the prasad. If you come to the temple and I say, please take prasad, you say, no, I'm fasting. You don't understand bhakti. <laughs> you take prasad. Hmm? Fasting, it is nothing. Hmm? Unto itself, what is that? Many times I, people would come for darshan to Prabhupada, and, well, sometimes, and, and, and they would they'd say they're fasting, and Prabhupada said, before. <laughs> Why? Hmm? What's the purpose of that? You fast in the context of loving, that's another thing. Hmm? So bhakti, this is the full idea. Renunciation is fully within inside bhakti. Hmm? Renunciation is, is only a, it's only the beginning of love. You have to step back from a thing to see it for what it is, to know how to interact with it. This is the where renunciation comes in, in bhakti. If you have objectivity, then you can... You know, if you're biased, you're too close to a thing, you can't see it for what it is, you're attached to it. So you want to step back and be objective. You see the world for what it is. Ah, it doesn't belong to me. Neither I belong to the world. Hmm? I'm a Shakti of Bhagawan, and so is the, the world. So let us interact in such a way as to honor Bhagawan. Hmm? This is loving. Hmm? So with Prashad, then, hmm, we've tied these two things together. Our capacity to, our need to eat, to live, and our need to live to love. Hmm? And this is a very generous form of uh, Krishna Bhakti. When we talk about prasad in terms of offering food to Krishna and taking the remnants, um, and I'll end with a story here that I told last night. I'll tell it more briefly. But Pujapada Sridharmarj, my beloved Siksha Guru, he, he, he told that in the beginning when he joined the mission, hmm, he was given a service of prasad distribution and they were distributing halava, which is a, a, a sweet butter and sugar and grains, and most of you are familiar with. And so people were lining up and coming, and he was putting the halibut, and this one fellow came, he put the father, guy ate it, went around, came to the back of the line, came again. He says, oh, you're coming a second time. Okay, you have a second time. Then the guy went, ate, came around a third time. So when he, he saw him the third time, he hesitated. He says, this guy's like, you know, it's the third time, you know. As but the senior godbrother to him, to Sri Ramana said, what are you doing? Are you distributing halava or are you distributing prashad? Mercy. Hmm? If somebody wants more mercy, then is there any limit to that? So he gave a third time. So take to your full satisfaction, as it said. <laughs> Don't be shy about taking prashad. Mahaprashad ki jai. Hari kirtan ki jai. Gold premanandi.